Today we're reading Acts chapter 1 from verse 1 till the end of the chapter. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here, looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back, in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem, from the hill called the Mountain of, the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphas, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open and his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Alcadema, the field that is the, the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become witnesses with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Basabus and also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas has left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Hey everyone, I, I can't wait to see you guys on the 2nd of August. It's so close, we can almost touch it, isn't it? How do you think we'll view COVID? How do you think we'll remember COVID in, say, 10, 15 years' time, though? When this is all more of a distant memory, 
How will we remember, how we look back on this time? I mean, clearly, at a global level, it has been a tragedy. Nearly half a million people have died. But when you think about it, for us here in Australia, God has been so incredibly kind, hasn't he? God has been so amazingly merciful. Uh, I mean, some of us may be touched by tragedy at a distance, and some of us may face economic hardship. But I wonder if in 10, 15 years' time, lots of us will look back on COVID really fondly, actually. We'll look back on this as a time when life slowed down, when we, we just haven't been able to be as busy as we normally are. We've been forced to spend time with family. We've been forced to rest. Uh, put up your hand if you've enjoyed not having to run kids out to family sport every week. Put up your hand if you have loved having to be able to sit and have church in your lounge room. It's been lovely, hasn't it? Not having to drive into work. For lots of us, I think this has been a time of slowing down and really taking stock of the things that are important to us and what's important in life. And a lot of us may even be thinking we wouldn't mind making this change a bit more permanent. Maybe it'd be good to slow down a bit more permanently, to not be in such a constant rush everywhere. And I think that is actually worth thinking about. Often our busyness is one of the things that stops us from being able to live fully for Jesus. And so maybe it is a good thing for us to slow down. Because lots of us, for lots of us, COVID has been a time of rest. But here's a thought. What about for Jesus? What's Jesus been doing during COVID-19? Has Jesus been up in heaven resting? Has Jesus been kicking back watching Netflix, having some enforced intra-triune family time? Has Jesus been gardening? I mean, when you think about it, hasn't Jesus been doing something like that for the last 2,000 years? We just read Acts chapter 1, and the first thing that happens in Acts is Jesus goes up to heaven. And from that moment, he kind of leaves the story. Jesus leaves the rest of the story to the Holy Spirit and to the apostles. They're the ones who go out and preach. They're the ones who go out and suffer and die. That's why this book is called the Acts of the Apostles. Or for the last little while, sometimes people have been calling it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But the one thing it's not is Jesus' story. Jesus is kicking back up in heaven. Except that the book of Acts starts in a really kind of strange way. Just have a look at the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, does it strike you that there's something weird about that sentence? It's the word began. In my former book, Theophilus, which is Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. You see, Luke says that his gospel, the gospel of Luke, that was just what Jesus began to do and teach, which means that Jesus hasn't finished doing and teaching yet. The book of Acts is what Jesus continued to do and teach. Jesus may have gone up to heaven in the beginning of Acts, but his doing and his teaching hasn't stopped. Acts is actually the story of Jesus, the acts of Jesus. And in verse 3, Luke begins to tell us what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. So look in verse 3. After his suffering, 
Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The first thing that Jesus does is prove that he's still alive. If his ministry is going to continue, if he's going to continue to do and teach, he has to actually demonstrate that he's alive. And so after he, after he rises, he shows himself to his apostles over a period of 40 days and he gives loads of convincing proofs. That is, Jesus is not like Elvis Presley. Those of us who are of a certain age, do you remember for decades after Elvis died, I think it was in 1977, 78, people claimed to see Elvis everywhere. You'd constantly get these stories about Elvis popping up here and popping up there. And just for a kick, not long ago, I looked up elvissightings.com and people are still claiming to see Elvis all over the world. My favourite one of all was a trucker from Tennessee named Zeke Handy. And Zeke said, I stopped for gas off Route 95 and my window was partially open and it was drizzling and a voice spoke at my door. And I swear by all that's holy, my blood froze in my veins and my hair stood on end. I looked down into the grinning face of the king himself. And he said in a drawling Tupelo accent, see, mister, can I get you some gasoline and an oil check? Well, I was speechless. I felt as though I was frozen in time and made of stone. And he spoke again and said, well, mercy me, mister. You look like you've seen a ghost. I peered down and I watched him pump fuel. It was kind of dirty gray in the hair and the sideburns. But only Elvis would wear those unique gold framed sunglasses in the rain at night. And I asked the cashier the name of the guy who pumped my fuel. And she said, his name is Elmer. Elmer Preston. <laughs> now I don't know about you but I'm not sure I'm entirely convinced by Zeke's story because the thing about the other side is there's never actually any evidence it always happens over there somewhere and no one actually saw it except the person who's making the claim but Jesus is different Jesus, Luke says Jesus showed himself to his apostles he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. In fact, you can even read about these appearances in Luke's first volume. Uh, have a look in Luke 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still didn't believe it because of joy and amazement, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. You see, here is convincing proof that Jesus is alive. He stands among his apostles and he says, look at my hands, look at my feet, touch me, watch, I'll even eat some fish. And it's not just going to fall straight through my body and onto the floor. No, I am alive. I've risen from the dead. Jesus isn't gone. He isn't gone from the story. He's still alive. And he is the one who is growing his kingdom. Jesus has plans for his kingdom that we see in the book of Acts. So look at chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The risen Jesus, who is alive, has plans for his kingdom. And the first thing the apostles need to do is stay and wait. Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit that the Father had promised. So verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' plans, his ongoing plans for his ongoing story involves the apostles receiving the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, the apostles ask Jesus something that, to be honest, is actually a little bit hard to understand. It's hard to figure out why they would ask Jesus the question they do in verse 6. Have a look in verse 6. Then they gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So Jesus has shown them that he's alive. He's told them to wait in Jerusalem because he's going to send them the Holy Spirit. And they ask, does that mean God's going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That would not have been my question. If Jesus had told me I was about to receive the Holy Spirit, I would have asked something like, what's it going to feel like? Am I going to be able to do magic gift, magic things, miracles and so on? Will I have superpowers? When is the Holy Spirit going to come? I would have had a whole bunch of questions. But the apostles ask, if the Spirit is coming, does that mean you're about to restore the kingdom to Israel? Why do they ask that? What do they even mean? Well, they ask that because they understood their Old Testament. You see, in this point in history, in the first century, Israel were a conquered nation. And they'd been conquered for centuries by a series of nations. So the Babylonians had conquered Israel back in around 600 BC. And after that, the Persians had taken over. Then around 320, the Greeks took over and they ruled the world. And then by Jesus' time, the Romans had taken over and they ruled the world. And Israel was just a punching bag in the Near East, ancient Near East there. Everyone was ruling them. By, uh, they'd been ruled by all these other countries for 600 odd years. But the thing is, God had promised that it wouldn't always be like that. In fact, God had promised to send a king who was going to liberate Israel and bring peace. And he was going to gather Israel back from the four corners of the earth where they'd been scattered. And this king was going to come from David's family. And importantly, this king would have the Holy Spirit. So have a look in Isaiah chapter 11, really famous Old Testament passage. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he'll delight in the fear of the Lord. He won't judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness. He will judge the needy. With justice, he'll give decisions for the poor of the earth. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he'll slay the wicked. Righteousness will be, the sash, will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. 
the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They'll neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria and Lower Egypt and Upper Egypt, from Cush and Elam and Babylonia and Hamath and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He'll raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He'll assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Now, those words were written while Israel was still a conquered nation. But God says, not forever. You won't always be a punching bag. I'm going to send my king and he will be a spirit king. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The king that's coming is going to be a spirit filled king which means he'll be just. In verse three, he won't judge by just what human eyes can see and human ears can hear. He'll judge by righteousness and he'll give decisions for the poor of the earth, not just the rich. And in verse six following, he's going to bring peace for Israel. Isn't that a beautiful description of peace? It's like the garden of Eden again. The wolf lies down with the lamb, the leopard lies down with the goat, the calf and the lion together and the little child leading them. It's peace like the garden of Eden You see, God was promising a spirit-filled, peace-bringing king who'd liberate Israel. And he's from David's family. He's from the family of Jesse, who was David's father. And then Jesus comes from the family of David. And he does miracles. And he rises from the dead. And then he says, the spirit is on its way. And so, of course, the disciples ask, does that mean it's time? Does that mean it's time for Isaiah 11? Is now the time when you're going to restore and rescue Israel and bring the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to bring peace and justice now, Jesus? You see, the apostles know their Old Testament. That's why they ask that question. The thing is, they don't quite know their Old Testament well enough yet. Jesus knows Isaiah 11 a little bit better than they do. And he knows that the reign of this spirit king is going to be global, not just for Israel. So Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. See, this spirit-filled king, he's not just going to rule Israel and he's not just going to redeem and rescue Israel and reestablish Israel. He's going to rule the whole world. All the nations are going to flock to him. And that is Jesus' plan. Jesus is going to conquer not just Israel. He's going to conquer the nations. And so look what Jesus says to his apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, I'm not just going to rule Israel. 
I'm going to rule to the very ends of the earth. I'm going to be the banner for the nations. The world is going to rally to me. And he says to his apostles, and you will be my witnesses for this. Wait in Jerusalem because the Spirit's going to come on you with power. The Spirit's going to come on you with my power. And you'll be my witnesses. You'll be my preachers. And not just to Israel. No, verse 8, you'll go from Jerusalem to Judea and then to Samaria. And then to the very ends of the earth. The Spirit King is going to conquer the whole world. But he's not going to do it the way anyone expected. He's not going to conquer the whole world with swords and chariots and spears and armies. He's going to conquer the whole world with his message. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is going to conquer human hearts. And the nations will flock to him without a sword ever being drawn. And they'll submit to him. And they'll love him. And they'll serve him. And they'll adore him. Because the Spirit is going to warm human hearts to love the true Spirit-filled King. That's what Jesus says is going to happen next. That's the great agenda of the book of Acts. Jesus hasn't left the story. Jesus is ruling the story. And in fact, to prove that, to prove Jesus' power, he ascends into heaven. So have a look in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Jesus the King ascends to his throne in heaven, but not leaving the story. This isn't Jesus retiring. This isn't Jesus sending his troops into battle and staying back. No, this is Jesus ruling the universe from heaven. That's why Jesus is the one who chooses Matthias. It's kind of strange that after we've had this big agenda being set in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, the next thing that happens is Matthias gets chosen as the new apostle. We read about it earlier. In the second half of Acts chapter 1, Peter says, we need another witness. We need another apostle to, to replace Judas. In other words, he says, we're a man down. We need a replacement. The thing is, look how Matthias is chosen in Acts chapter 1, verse 24. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's hearts. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. And then they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias. And so he was added to the 11 apostles. You see, Jesus chooses Matthias. Because Jesus is sending Matthias along with the others to be his messenger in the world. You see, whose story is the book of Acts? Since about 150 years after Jesus... This book has been called the Acts of the Apostles. More recently, people have wanted to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And the Apostles and the Holy Spirit are important, but it's neither there of their Acts. This is Jesus' story. The Apostles are Jesus' servants who preach in the power of Jesus' Holy Spirit. Throughout the book of Acts, the Spirit's regularly called the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Jesus and in fact, for the rest of the book of Acts, we are going to send, see Jesus send and preach and heal and grow his own kingdom. Acts is Jesus' story. 
And you know, in lots of ways, it's a story that hasn't ended yet, isn't it? I mean, Acts has a very neat ending. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says the apostles are going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And by the time we reach the ends of the book of Acts, the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. It's gone to Rome. Acts ends with Paul in Rome preaching the gospel. And so there is a very neat end to the book of Acts, except that there's one thing that's not quite as neat. Jesus is still in heaven and he hasn't yet come back. The gospel is still going out to the very ends of the earth in the power of the Spirit. Jesus is still conquering human hearts right to this very day. Even during COVID-19, we might have been forced to rest during COVID-19. We might have been forced to sit back and chill and, and rethink our agendas and our priorities. But Jesus has still been ruling the world from heaven. Jesus has still been calling people to himself from heaven. This has been one of the most wonderful things that I've seen during COVID, just in our little corner of the world, that during COVID, do you know, 11 people at our church have prayed the prayer to become Christians. 11 people whose hearts have been warmed by the Holy Spirit, who've called Jesus their King by the power of the Holy Spirit, by believing in that apostolic message that we find in the Bible. We've seen acts happening, becoming true, even in our very church. That's Jesus doing. Do you know 60 people have joined our church during this period of COVID? That's, that's Jesus' work. You see, Jesus' story continues today. Really, all of history is the story of Jesus' rule and reign, not just the book of Acts. The whole of history from the very moment of creation onwards, is the story of God's great plan to enthrone Jesus as the ruler of heaven and earth, the spirit-filled king. And you know what's so lovely about Jesus' story? Is the way he draws humans into his story. It's Jesus' story, but we get captured up. We get caught up and dragged into Jesus' story so that Jesus' story becomes our story. You see that all through the Gospels and the book of Acts, don't you? The apostles, they're just going about their business. They're fishermen, they're tax collectors. And then Jesus comes along and, and they get caught up in his story. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see the Jews from all over the world on the day of Pentecost getting caught up in Jesus' story. And then it goes on and we, see, we meet the deacons who get caught up in, in Jesus' story. Stephen, the, the one who preaches the gospel. He's not in the story for very long, admittedly. He gets stoned after his first sermon, from what we can tell. But then Philip gets caught up in the story, and he preaches the gospel to the Ethiopian who gets caught up in Jesus' story. And then there's Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, who gets caught up in Jesus' story. And then Paul, and then Timothy, and then people from Caesarea, and Philippi, and Ephesus, and Thessalonica, all the people we meet in the letters. All of these people get caught up in this story about Jesus so that his story becomes their story. And that was true of us, isn't it? If you're a Christian, you have been caught up in Jesus' story so that Jesus' story has now become your story. Your life story is the story of Jesus' goodness. Your life story is the story of Jesus' kindness to you, that Jesus has saved you and Jesus is transforming you and Jesus is growing you and challenging you and sending you and equipping you. 
as we become Christians, Jesus' story becomes the story of our life, doesn't it? And the thing is, I can't wait to see what Jesus does next. As we re-emerge from COVID-19, isn't it an amazing thing to stop and think, what's Jesus going to do next? How's Jesus going to grow his kingdom next? I, I can't wait to see who Jesus is going to catch up in his story next. That's the, thing I, that's the thing we want to get really excited about as a church, isn't it? Seeing the people of Nui and, and Lake Mac being caught up in Jesus' story so that they then start to tell Jesus' story as their own story. Over the next 18 months, who is it that you're going to be part of their story? Their story of coming to Christ and, and joining his story. How are you going to be part of someone else's story? Will you be the friend who spoke to them over the back fence and that was the thing that kicked it off for them? The friend who was the only person in the street who always waved and said hello and that just lodged in their mind. Will you be the person who prayed for the friend of someone else in your growth group? Faithfully, week after week, you'd never met them, but you just prayed for them. And then suddenly you see that they've come to Christ and, and you're part of their story. Will you be the person who gave them the cup of coffee the first time they walked into church? And you're part of their story of coming to Christ. Will you be the person who handed them the outline or sat next to them on their very first day of church Will you be the person who actually prays the prayer with them that comes to Christ? Everyone plays a different part in people's story of coming to Jesus because that's the great thing about Jesus. He gives us different parts in his story. What role could you play in the next 18 months? Be part of someone's story of coming to Jesus in your way playing the part that Jesus gives you. Over the next 18 months at church, we're just going to show you stacks and stacks and stacks of stories, loads of videos, loads of things on YouTube of people's story of coming to faith, people's stories of growing in faith, people's stories of growing to decide to do ministry, and then people's stories of inviting their own friends and their friends' stories we're just going to tell loads and loads of stories that are all part of Jesus' story. Wouldn't it be wonderful to look at that story and to think, you know, I'm, in my own small way, I'm a part of that story. I started the conversation over the back fence. I prayed for them. I, I sat next to them in church. What a privilege. What an amazing privilege to think I'm part of that person's story, which is actually part of Jesus' bigger story. Whose story are you going to be part of in the next 18 months? I can't wait for us to come back. I can't wait, not just for us to see each other, but to see what Jesus is going to do next. Luke was just what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts was what Jesus continued to do and teach back then. Who knows what Jesus is going to do and teach now? Why don't we pray and ask him to show us? Let's pray. Our great God, we praise you that you raised Jesus from the dead, ruling, reigning. We praise you that he sent out 
the apostles with the message in the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the Spirit's power that it's still at work, that we still have the apostles' words, that we can read them and we can declare them and say them. We praise you that Jesus is indeed risen from the dead and ruling the world. We thank you that we get caught up in his story of rule and reign. We thank you that for every single one of us, our story is the story of Jesus' mercy and grace and power and kindness and goodness and rule. We pray that we'll be part of other people's story. Such a wonderful idea, Father, that we could be part of someone else's story about how they came to Christ as the first person who talked to them, as the one who invited them, as the one who prayed for them, the one who said the kind word when they first came to church. We thank you that you use all of us to play different parts. We can't wait to see where Jesus' story is going next, Father. And we pray in trusting, hopeful expectation. Amen.